Well, good morning, everyone. Excellent to be here with you. Excellent to uh, see all the, the faces in the, the house of the Lord. Good to see familiar faces. Good to see new faces. Good to see new familiar faces. So, um, yeah, lovely to be here and, and present the Word of God to you. And I'm hoping you had a, a very Merry Christmas. Hoping that your Boxing Day was sufficient to recover from said Merry Christmas. And um, how good to, to start a new week as we end this year, um, looking at the, the Word of God. Uh, this morning, as we come to the Word of God, uh, can I just pray as we uh, come to His Word? Heavenly Father, we just once again uh, thank You that You are good. We just thank You for what we've been able to do thus far this morning. We thank You for such, uh, such wonderful songs that sing of Christ and His work, and the sufficiency of that work, and the security that we have in Christ. We thank you for times of sharing and encouragement as we reflect. And wow, as we reflect, we can see so much goodness from your hand. And so we give you praise in public, in our own hearts. Lord, we just thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the fact that we can meet together. And uh, Lord, just be here, be with one another, be an encouragement. And Lord, at this time, help us to um, come to your word with the right heart, with the right attitude. And uh, Lord, we just pray that your word will be made plain. Amen. So when I first started driving, I was very careful. Very, very careful. Okay, I would always keep two hands on the wheel at 10 to 2, at all times. I only got my L's after sitting the test for two and a half hours. I was triple-checking every question, those giveaway questions, I was quadruple-checking. I would make sure I was always 5Ks below the limit wherever I went. Apologies if you were behind me at that time. <laughs> As the years have progressed, I have become somewhat relaxed in my driving. Fifteen years on, you'll see me driving along just with one hand, maybe eating a cheeseburger. Uh, you'll see me creeping right up to that speed limit and occasionally going over. Uh, I haven't looked at giveaway rules in, in 15 years. And in the 15 years since I got my L's, I've been involved in four road accidents. Hmm. When we respect something, we're a lot more careful, we're a lot less sloppy, and everyone's the better for it. This morning, I want us to turn our attention not so much to care on the road, but respect and care for God's Word. So this morning, I'm going to urge you to respect the Word of God. To, to hold it in high regard, to recognize it has many applications, to think of it well and to use it to, to influence your thinking. The Word of God is such a wonderful thing and we're going to delve into the Word of God this morning talking about the Word of God. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to get into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles here, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and I'll be reading from uh, chapter 1 and our passage this morning is verse 22 through to 2 verse 3. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 to 2 verse 3. Just a side note that all scripture is God-breathed, but the chapter divisions, mm, not so inspired. So it's one chunk this morning um, from 22 to 2, 3. And just before we read it and get into it, I will note this morning, I'm going to be trying to exegete the text and go through verse by verse, but there are 
A few things that I'm just going to have to mention. There's a few doctrines I'm going to have to explain. There's a few times where I'm going to delve into the culture of the day and how the culture presented that we are to have is going to be different to the culture of the day. So we'll go, we'll go through the passage, but I will have some doctrinal and cultural musings. Uh, so let me first read this passage, and then we'll take you through it. Uh, starting at verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This morning what we're going to see is that we are to respect the word, and we're going to see three aspects of the word that should cause us to respect it. And this morning what I've done is I've made all three aspects start with the letter P. So uh, that's, that's for you, Kevin. So three aspects of the word that will cause us to respect the word. So firstly, respect the word, it's practical. Respect the word, it's practical. I get this from verse 22. Let me read again. Verse 22 since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, what Peter does here in this verse is something that Peter is uh, very used to doing. He'll give an application, he'll say something instructive for your life, but it's rooted in the Word of God. It's grounded in the Word of God. Here, the instruction is to love one another fervently, but that comes from obedience to the truth obedience to the Scriptures, the Word of God. And so what Peter is doing, which I think is absolutely magnificent, is he's taking love and he's taking truth and he's showing how interconnected they are, how joined they are. And this is a very significant thing for us to recognize, partly because we say, hey, this isn't just some book, it has practical outworkings in our life as we obey it. And the, and the one we're looking at here is, is love. As we um, come to the Scriptures, we realize we're to apply it by showing love. But when we think about um, love, when we think about truth, too often in our culture, love and truth are seen as opposites. Even in our evangelical Christian circles, some people can say, oh, I want to major on love, or I want to major on truth. But this runs counter to what Peter is presenting here, that love and truth are, are so beautifully linked. And we want to think about this carefully so that we don't fall prey to, to sloppy thinking as, as others have done. So we think about uh, what a church or a Christian organization might do if they're majoring on love. They might, might say something like, you know, we, we want to promote love, but then perhaps they'll be misguided in their understanding of biblical love and mistake love for, you know, a lack of disagreements and a lack of difference of opinion. And so in the name of love, a group might say, you know what, let's, as a church, not have a doctrinal statement or only have the barest statement of faith because we don't want people squabbling over doctrine. And so in their pursuit of love, uh, they're forsaking the truth. Or they might say something like, you know what, we really want these people who are new to our church to feel welcome. Well, that, that's great. So we're going to stop mentioning sin. And so they're, they're straying away from the truth. And often 
if someone's trying to major on love, they're going to be swept along by the tide of culture. And so we have Christian churches here in Australia that are promoting things like homosexuality, promoting things like evolution, uh, women preaching to men, all things popular in the culture are coming into the church. And it's because they're not majoring on truth. And hopefully we can, as a church, stand our ground on this. I know we are a church that highly regards the Word of God. We preach the Word, we teach the Word. Our worship is influenced by the Word and we often sing stuff straight from the Bible. Um, And this is all very good. So perhaps our danger won't so much be going down the path of, you know, majoring on love without majoring on truth, but perhaps in our truth, we won't be manifesting love as we ought to. And if we do that, if we are only respecting the Word of God, if you're only nodding as I say, this is God's Scriptures, but our life shows no love or application, then we're not really respecting the Word. And our life is a bit of an ivory tower type of existence. Because love and truth are linked And our love for the Word is going to show itself in application here in this verse, in in love, fervent love for one another. And so as we look at this verse and we see the the love that is to be on display, uh, we notice something. The love that's to be on display is an upgraded love. Did you notice that there were two mentions of the word love there? There's a sincere love, but it's to be upgraded. It's to be increased to a fervent love. And we can tell this is an upgrade because the word sincere is is a good word, you know, genuine love, um, honest love. And I think that describes us here as a church as well, which which is fantastic. We have a sincere love of the brethren, but it's to be upgraded to a fervent love. That fervent captures a great passion. It's the same word that was used to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so our love is to be upgraded. If you become a student of the Greek, it's also pretty cool because you can see the upgrade there. Uh, The word for love with a sincere love, the first love mentioned, is phileo, the friendly love. But the love mentioned, um, the fervent love, is agape, the same word used to describe God when John said God is love. He said God is agape. And so our love is to be upgraded. It's to not just be sincere, it's to be fervent. And that can be quite a, a convicting thing for us who are pretty good at loving pretty well, but are we fervent in our love? You know, to what extent do we go about finding out the needs of other people and then putting it upon ourselves to meet those needs, not just saying, oh, the church will do it or, or the government will do it. You know, to what extent are we praying for one another? What do we even know to pray for in the lives of one another? And so one of my challenges this morning is to perhaps pray for someone that you wouldn't normally pray for. And to do that, well, you're going to have to at least know somewhat how to pray for them. What do they need to grow in? What do they uh, need God to help them in? And then if you can pray for them and pray for them regularly, then your heart will be molded and shaped in love for them in application of this text. And so how can we fervently love one another? Let's be thinking about that as we seek to apply the Word. Because this Word, these Scriptures, the Bible, it isn't just words on a page, it's to, to manifest itself in practical application. The Word is practical. But read the verse again, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. I can't help but think of uh, James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And and that's something you probably don't think about all the time as you're you're sitting down and and listening to preaching. You you tend to just kind of say, oh yeah, amen, nod, nod. Um, But are you deceiving yourselves right now? Are you merely listening to the Word? 
because the word is practical, and we need to have that mindset of seeking to apply it, of being changed by it, of going from here and saying, this is God's word, I want to do what it says and have his life um, shown in my life, to have his words shown in my words. And so, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Recognize that the word is practical. And all the while doing, we want to be showing that truth and love are so beautifully mixed. And we are in a fantastic position here as New Community Church, as those that highly regard the truth and those that recognize that these are God's scriptures and hold fast to it, and long may that be the case. May we also be those that show that the love as well that goes with it, the fervent love um, that we're to show to, to those around us. Respect the word, it's practical. We'll come now to our, our second point this morning. Respect the word, it's perpetual. Respect the word, it's perpetual. I'm going to get this from verses 23 through 25, so read along with me, please. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Wonderful, wonderful stuff here in these verses. And it starts uh, by saying, having been born again. And those are two common words in the you know, Christian vocabulary, born again. But they capture such a, a rich truth, I just want to explore for a minute. Because being born again is talking about the doctrine of regeneration. And it's a doctrine that we don't want to misunderstand. We want to be clear what we're talking about here. So when you, or when someone, if I can talk generically, when someone becomes a Christian... They put their faith in Christ and they, they commit themselves to Jesus and they ask for forgiveness and all of those things are true. But at the moment of conversion, they are regenerated. God gives them a new nature. So Christianity is so much more than a decision. It is not just turning over a new leaf. A Christian is someone who is born again. And when you think about how much joy we have when, when someone has a baby or we think about even celebrating birthdays, you know, that start of life accompanied with birth is the imagery being carried out by the phrase born again. Because when a Christian is born again, it's the start of a new life. How is it new? Well, God gives them new desires. The sinner before they're saved does not love God. After they're saved, they're regenerated and they love God. The sinner before they're saved doesn't care about the Scriptures. After they're saved and they're regenerated, they actually love the Scriptures. A sinner before they're saved has no capacity to please God. But after they're saved, they have the capacity to please God. All of these things come about because of regeneration. God miraculously changing the person from the inside out. And so Christianity is more than a decision. And that brings us so much comfort. Because we know that we still have our old nature. We're still sinners. I know that by looking at my own heart, and I'm sure you do by looking at your own heart, as well as the world around us where we see Christian sin. And yet, because we're regenerated, we know that we're going to be with Jesus one day. We know that this isn't just a temporary thing He's done in our lives. When we're born again, we can't be unborn again. Okay? If you've been born, you can't be unborn. Once you've left your mama, there's, there's no going back. 
I think we understand the biology of this. And that's why the metaphor is so powerful. God regenerates, and He doesn't unregenerate. And it's a wonderful thing, and we praise God for it. And it's just captured in those, those two words there, having been born again, praise God. So having been born again, as we read the verse again, verse 23, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. We see here um, the word incorruptible, which really is a beautiful word uh, to describe what God is doing and to describe God's Word. Some translations might have imperishable. I've used the word perpetual, but it's not quite as good a word, but it does start with P. But imperishable, um, incorruptible or, or perpetual, this word that Peter is using here to describe the Bible, to describe the Scriptures, he's actually used beforehand in chapter 1, which is really interesting. So he's used the imperishable word to describe our inheritance as Christians. He's used imperishable to describe our faith. And he's using it here uh, to help describe the Word. And so when we think about those things, when we think about as a Christian our inheritance, our faith, and the Word of God, they're all authored by God. And as such, they all have that imperishable quality, that perpetual quality, that forever quality. And we praise God for that. If we read the uh, quotation there, it's a quotation from Isaiah in verse 24. All flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I think we understand what's being said here. Grass is a temporary thing. It dies. Quite a lot of it has died on my lawn. Um, flowers are a temporary thing. They fade. Now, we know this, and yet, for some reason, men keep buying their wives and girlfriends flowers. I, I, I really don't understand this, you know. Here, love of my life, who I want a long-term relationship with, have this symbol of the temporary nature of things which will die shortly. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I'm not here to explain why Jenna doesn't get flowers from me. <laughs> that's, that's not where we're going to this. Um, we're here to describe the Word of God. So in, in contrast to the temporary nature of things, such as uh, flowers and grass, the Word of God endures forever. And when you think about it, basically everything that you see around you is part of the, the temporary nature of things. Everything that you see around you is basically not going to last forever. But the Word of God will and that is a powerful thought, and it ought to shape our thinking. It ought to shape our thinking drastically. So this book, the Scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible here, are the very Word of God, and they're imperishable, they will last forever. How should that shape our thinking? Well, in, in numerous ways. Let me, let me talk about it for a bit. For example, how do we come to know things? Well, there's, there's a myriad of ways there. Uh, for example, history is one way we come to know things. We study history, and history is a good thing. But history is not imperishable. God's Word is imperishable. And so if history is saying something that runs counter to God's Word, we trust God's Word. We trust God who wrote these Scriptures. The God who, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. So He's our authority. And this isn't just some um, faith in nothingness and, and we're hoping it's right. These are, this is God's Word and is right. And an encouragement for you, um, archaeologists and historians used to think that the Hittites weren't a real people. Um, the Bible mentioned them, but that was about it. And so people that believed the Bible were mocked. But then evidence for the Hittites was found in 
archaeological digs. And so the Bible is shown to be historically right, which is no surprise to those who hold the Bible in high regard. And so recognize that this is God's Word. We can do the same sort of thing with science. Science is a wonderful way of learning things about the world. You should know that I love science. I'm a science teacher. Um, science, by its very nature, is actually based on the fact that it's always improving and in a state of flux. So we know now scientifically than we used to, but in the future we'll know more. So you kind of take everything in science as it's the best we've got right now. That's kind of the, the mindset science should have when it's presenting itself. That's not how culture views science, but that's how people should be viewing science, Christians and non-Christians alike. Nevertheless, where I'm going with this is science is not imperishable. It's, it's our best estimation of what's happening now on the evidence around us, but this is God's Word, and God's Word is imperishable. So what do you do if science says something that runs counter to God's Word? You hold God's Word in higher regard. What do we do if science says something that causes us to doubt God's Word? Well, we trust God's Word. So let me give you an example. Um, science will talk about um, alcoholics suffering from a condition called alcoholism and say that is the reason that these people go and get drunk. So what do we as people that want to respect the Word say? Well, we look at the Word and we can accept, sure, there might be some differences in brain chemistry. The Bible doesn't say that everyone's brain is exactly the same. But the Bible does say that getting drunk is a sin. And so what we do is we say, okay, the Bible says getting drunk is a sin, so why we acknowledge there might be some differences. Ultimately, we're not going to excuse their sin, the sin of the alcoholic, because that's what the Bible says. And it's our ultimate authority. And we'll notice that even more and more as we, we go along in um, the psychological field, particularly that more and more of people's behavior that the Bible categorizes as sin is going to be excused because science is coming from an increasingly naturalistic perspective and an amoral perspective. The Word of God is imperishable. It is our highest authority. And we want to treat the Word rightly. We want to understand the Word of God rightly. So another thing that I found that is um, alarming was I, I heard someone say, the Word of God is true in all that it affirms. And I was troubled by that. And you might say, hey, why are you troubled by that? That sounds pretty good. The Word of God is true in all that it affirms. But the reason I'm troubled by that, because if you say the Word of God is true in all that it affirms, then what you're saying is, in any given passage, there's, there's one main point and everything else doesn't matter. And we can basically ignore that. The Bible's really just trying to say one thing, and if we get that one thing, we're okay. What does the Bible affirm? That's all you really need. And so that's a really dangerous way of thinking. Here at New Community, we say the Bible is true in everything that it says. In everything that it says. And so the difference is, if you say the Bible is true in everything that it affirms, what you're doing is just putting the onus on your uninspired self to figure out what's affirmed, what's peripheral, what actually matters, what doesn't. And when people go down that avenue, they can come to all sorts of weird and unfortunately you know, bad interpretations of the Bible. But if you say the Bible is true in everything that it says, you put yourself under the authority of the whole Scriptures as God's direct revelation and inspired revelation. And that's where we want to be. Those that look at the Word and put ourselves under it. Because the Word of God is imperishable. It endures forever. It's perpetual. Respect the Word. Respect the Word, it is practical. Respect the Word, it's perpetual. We'll get into our last point this morning, uh, which is respect the Word, it's pure. Respect the Word, it's pure. We're going to get this uh, from chapter 2 and the first three verses. So uh, read along with me, please. 
Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Respect the word, it's pure. Again, what we have Peter doing here is giving us a, a truth, an application that's grounded in the Word of God. So the main attribute of the Word of God mentioned here is its purity. But what Peter is doing really is saying, hey, if the Word of God is pure, how can you be living hypocritically? How can you be one way with one group of people, another way with another group of people, when God's Word is 100% pure? Or, or with slander, how can you go slander someone? How can you go say falsehoods about someone in an unkind spirit when God's Word is pure, it's, it's the truth spoken in love from God, and, and so on it goes. If we are demonstrating any of these sins mentioned here, we're living a life that runs counter to the very nature of the Bible, and runs counter to the very nature of God Himself who authored the Bible. And so if you are struggling with any of these sins, one thing you can do is, is get into the Word, read the Word more, and as you read it, may it shape your thinking to love God more, and as you draw near to God, you'll want to put off these sins. When I say read the Word of God more, I also want us to make sure we read it well and read it carefully. Because if we truly want to respect it, we don't want to be sloppy in our thinking and we don't want to be casual in our approach. So we need to make sure that we, we study the Bible and we look at things like context, we look at things like the culture of the day. If need be, we look at history and, and geography if it applies. We compare Scripture with Scripture. So when we come to the Bible, we want to come in a way that says, this is God's pure word, and I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to misrepresent God. So come and think about the Bible well, and hopefully as a church we can help you to do that. What's the, uh, the main crux of the application there in verse 2? As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, now, I, I have a pretty newborn babe, and so I, I consulted my baby son, Malachi, and said, hey, how do you desire the milk? And he went, hmm. That's very cute. But upon you know, further thinking and reflection and observation of him, the way a baby desires milk is, um, is very interesting. So if a baby starts to get a hankering for milk, they'll become quite agitated, and they'll be like fidgety, and you're holding them, and they're, they're wiggling around, and you get a, a few wares. And if the milk doesn't come, you know, the the whinging and the, uh, the intensity that they want that milk with becomes more obvious. There's more and more tears, and it becomes a, Jenna, please quickly come here, in, in polite times always. Um, <laughs> pure milk of the word. Pure milk of the word is what we are to crave in a similar way. So babies, newborns, they, they approach their milk situation. They crave their milk desperately. They crave it wholeheartedly, and they crave it unashamedly. And so we too are to approach the word the same way desperately, wholeheartedly, and unashamedly. Crave the Word of God. Desire the Bible. And it is a, a very desirable book. The Bible is a, is a fantastic book. There's incredible literature. There's, there's narratives in there with wonderful stories. The, the apocalypse and revelation is just mind-blowing. Reading over the story of Jesus is encouraging. Getting into the Psalms can be uplifting, even in dark times. There's wisdom in the Proverbs. There's awesome stuff in Song of Solomon. Um, the Bible is just a really good book. So desire it, crave it. 
But we don't just crave it because it's interesting, but we praise God that it is. We crave it that we may become more mature. You'll see there in verse 2, that you may grow thereby. So the goal of drinking the milk of the Word is to become more mature. So just like a baby drinks milk and grows up physically, we are to come to the Word of God and grow up spiritually and become more and more spiritually um, mature and like Christ. And when you think about that, it's really interesting if you look at the uh, Greek there, it's, it's reasonably well translated that you grow thereby, mentioning the, the maturing process, but it's in the passive voice, be grown, G-R-O-W-N. And I love that because that captures the essence of the two people at work in your sanctification. You, as you go out and apply and, and do what the Word says, and God, through the Holy Spirit, miraculously making you more like Christ. And there's a, there's a duality there that I can't explain, but I can praise God for that, you know, there's two parties at part in your sanctification. And so make sure that you are at work, you're actually trying to make yourself more holy, and God will mysteriously work through you as you seek His Word and, and apply it. Whatever you do, don't just kind of go, all right, ready for my sanctification, God? You know, that's, that's not how it works. We've got to actually go out and apply and read His Word and, and do what it says. Verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. If indeed, verse 3, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, I want to do something here, um, kind of like an object lesson, but also to show you my thinking. Uh, in verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, let's try and examine these scriptures, and I want to use some of the things I mentioned earlier uh, to hopefully understand what's going on here, and you can agree or disagree, but we'll see how we go. So, uh, we look at that, and the first thing that your Bible might tell you, if it's an excellent Bible, is that this is a bit of a quotation or a reference to something else in the Bible, Psalm 34, 8. And so Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's a, a wonderful quote. And then we, we read here, it says, If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And we look and say, well, hang on. He doesn't say taste and see here in Peter. He just says taste. So what's going on there? And then we recognize that, well, number one, the, the culture of the day was different. So Peter was not bound to Harvard referencing. That's quite a modern invention. So you didn't have to always translate word for word or quote word for word. That one thing. And then we recognize that the Bible is pure. This is the undefiled word of God. And so we submit ourselves to it and say, okay, that means Peter didn't make a mistake because this is the word of God. And so there was some sort of intention in him being inspired by the Spirit to, to put it this way. And we say, okay, what could that be? And so I'll put to you that he said, taste that the Lord is gracious because he himself was an eyewitness of Jesus. He had physically seen Jesus and been encouraged by that process, obviously. But the opportunity to taste the goodness of God is available to all. And so that's what he's putting there. Peter could taste the goodness of God. You can taste the goodness of God here this morning. His readers could taste the goodness of God because we walk by faith, not by sight. Seeing Jesus is not a requirement of faith, not a requirement of experiencing God's goodness. And so anyway, hopefully there, that gives you at least a bit of the thinking. And as we approach the Scriptures, we, we consider culture, we consider uh, Scripture with Scripture, we look at the context and we try and come to a conclusion based on that. Always elevating the Scriptures and respecting the Word as the, um, the inerrant Word of God. God's Word is pure, and so we are to respect it. And when we realize that God's Word is pure, it really gives us encouragement. So it ties in quite nicely with the, um, the inerrancy of Scriptures. So when God inspired the original authors um, with the, the words of Scripture, what they wrote down was completely and utterly error-free. It was divine. It was from God, because our God doesn't produce errors. And now you can trust 
the translation in front of you down to the very word. And we hold the word of God in high regard. We respect the word because we recognize its purity. I know the uh, passage here is talking about milk, but if I can mix my metaphors, back in those days you had merchants who sold wine. And so the more wine you wanted to purchase, the more money you'd have to spend. It was kind of sold by the liter. But what your unscrupulous merchants would do would be dilute their wine. So they'd add more and more water to it than try and sell it at the same price. One of the words that became popular among wine merchants was the word pure, I mentioned here in this verse. Come get pure wine. We haven't actually diluted it. It's the real stuff. We want to make sure that we look at the Word of God as pure. We don't just discard certain portions of Scripture because they don't align with our thinking. We don't discard certain portions of Scripture because we don't feel good about them. This whole thing is the pure Word of God that comes from God. And so we treat it as such. The other awesome thing that we can glean from verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, going back to verse 2, um, desire the pure spiritual milk. So what's happening here? Well, it's a, we love God, therefore we love His Word. And this makes sense. So in my filing cabinet at home, I have a special section dedicated to kind things spoken of me. So my wife's uh, letters that she gives me on our anniversary, I store in there. And there's some um, family memories as well from Thanksgiving times that I store in there. And I do that because I love those people, and so I love what they've said. And it's a similar type attitude we should have, but even more so, for God's Word. We love God, and as Christians, we've tasted the goodness of God, so we want to hear what He said. And so we go to the Word of God. The Word of God is, is pure. Now, just another word of caution for us uh, before we depart. This Bible is God's ultimate source of verbal authority, or ultimate source of written authority as, as you read it. And I say that because it can be very easy for some people, and perhaps ourselves as well, to seek God's truth, to seek His audible or written truth in other forms. And so we don't need to go after visions or prophecies because we have the pure Word of God right here. We don't need to like, listen to that little quiet voice inside us because we have the Word of God right here. And even in our interpretation of Scripture, we want to be very careful. I don't want to say something like, the Holy Spirit says this if I'm not following it with the actual literal Word of God. So this is what God has said. Let's not put anything else in His mouth because this is pure and we trust it, although we endeavor to interpret it as accurately and as carefully and as respectfully as we can. So recognize that this is the pure Word of God and if you want to know what God thinks, read the Word and it'll tell you so much about yourself, about God, about the world, about sin, about everything. This is the place that we go to. In an increasingly um, complex culture that devalues even the concept of truth, recognize that this is the pure, undefiled Word of God, and so respect it. As we uh, depart from this place, as we embark upon a new year, may we be those that hold the Word of God in very high regard. So respect the Word, it's practical. Be convicted to, to love one another with that upgraded, fervent love. Respect the Word, it's perpetual. May the fact that it is an eternal Word shape your thinking and cause you to think of the Scriptures as higher than every other source of information. Respect the Word, it's pure, it's undefiled. And through it, you can love God, 
draw near to Him and put off sins. May we be those that respect the Word uh, this coming year. Shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We just thank You for not leaving us with, with nothing, but for giving us such clear, pure, eternal truths. And we just pray that we'll be shaped by them, that we'll hold these truths in high regard and that you'll help us to apply them to our life. Thank you for each and every person here. And we just thank you for your um, Holy Spirit, who we pray that continues to work in each and every one of us to, to shape us into the likeness of Christ. Be with us each, I pray. Amen.